as a writer, we are both at a disadvantage and advantage because a lot of these companies don't know what we do. Probably 85% of the creative brand guidelines that I get don't have copy specifications. They say capitalize according to the Chicago style manual or something. I'm just like, that says nothing about how to write for your brand. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Okay, so today I spoke with UX writer from Deloitte, and his name is Matt Hayes. Deloitte is a Fortune 500 company. It is one of the biggest strategy consultancy company in the world. What was exciting about this episode, first of all, we spoke about retro video games, which is always exciting for me. My favorite, by the way, is Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Never mind. We had the opportunity to understand what is the process of being a UX writer in the digital agency of Deloitte. There is many, many, many action items that you can implement today in your workflow that we spoke about in that episode. We also talked about the structure of a case study and a portfolio if you want to get hired in the field as a UX writer. Don't forget to tell me how was this episode for you. And if you've liked it, share it with your team. Today, I have a very special guest. He came all the way from Colorado and is working for one of the largest agencies in the world, Deloitte, as a UX writer. I am very excited to have him here. Matt Hayes, how are you? I'm doing great. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to have you here because I'm very curious about different kinds of writing methodologies in Deloitte and a little bit about your experience. And I would love to learn more. Super happy to have you here. Uh, you just told me that you are at your client location in Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah. I traveled down here for a couple of days for a little kickoff and just enjoying the hot and humid weather. Can you say which client is it or... Uh, they're not a public facing client. We have some clients that are really excited to be working with us and then others that prefer a little bit more obscurity. So tell me, Matt, what is the project that you are most proud of to this day? We had a really great project where we brought a lot of education around financial services and well-being and health and fitness all of that was created in some learning content that we brought to people so that they could be better informed in the long-term decisions that they were making. So it was a really content-heavy project for an app. So we, you know, we had to write a lot of content, do a lot of research, a lot of sourcing. But it, it felt really good to be bringing that information to people and doing it in a way that was very easy to interact with, had some really great collaboration with our UI designers that so had these cool little animations and, you know, moments of delight within the experience. And yeah, I mean, the whole thing came together well in a way that I think was really beneficial to users when they would learn from this stuff. So we're talking about an educational platform. So I can learn in that platform finance and wellness and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it was designed for a commercial client. It wasn't specifically a learning platform like Duolingo or something like that. But the information that we were serving up was insightful and really beneficial. I mean, it was a great project for me, too, because I just learned a ton of stuff. You know, that's one of the things that I really enjoy about 
working at a consulting company. I came from freelance, so there's a new client every project. So going to a consulting company was really cool because it still allows you to just jump into an industry, jump into a client, completely digest a new set of brand guidelines a couple times a year, learn about the background of that industry, learn about what they're trying to provide to their users, what their value prop is, everything like that, and then create content based on that. It was for a commercial client, but it's still a lot of learning on my part. And then hopefully we conveyed that well to, to the end user. You've talked about a super interesting point, which is part of the consulting or agency model, which is learning your industry very well in order to serve it in the best possible way. Let's say that I'm working in a product team, a company like Shopify, for example. So I also have to own different kinds of research methodologies and learn my industry in order to know how to serve the content in the best possible way. And it feels like that in consultancy company like Deloitte, you have the opportunity to gain like a spectrum of so many different industries and have experience for many different fields. And I feel that uh, it might be super interesting position to have. Yeah, for sure. It's one of the parts of the work that I love the most, you know, just being able to just jump into a new company. We're really empowered to have creative and challenging conversations with very high level executives. We go into a kickoff meeting and we're already expected to have digested all of the material that they've given us. So any brand guidelines, we poke around their, their website, their competitors' websites. We'll go pretty wide-ranging in the classification of a, quote, competitor. You know, try and come in with all of that knowledge already and perspectives on what makes certain things good, what things could be improved upon, and then... Frequently, you know, in our first meeting, we're sitting down with the CMO or CTO of multinational companies. And we just jump right in and we're like, hey, this is what we've seen. Are all of these assumptions correct? This is where we think we could improve. Is this in line with your business goals over the next 12 months, three years, five years? And yeah, we just dive right in. And it's exhilarating for sure and pretty fun. That's crazy, man. Let's talk a little bit about the process of those kickoff meetings. Before going to that meeting, how in that research need to be? Is it like one day research? Is it one month of a research? Maybe six months of a research? So before we go into a kickoff meeting, our team usually gets a couple days to a week to look through as much information as we can. Deloitte is such a huge company. So sometimes we'll already have teams on the client site that are working on a SAP integration or like a new CMS implementation or something like that. And so they're able to give us information that they've been given with our digital team and help accelerate our learning. So yeah, we'll have a couple of days to digest as much of that as we can. And then we'll get in the room with the stakeholders and start to learn about our particular project mandate. Is there any kind of deliverables like presentations that you're doing to those executives when you're coming to their site to kick off the meeting? We have a quote kickoff meeting, which is basically a meet and greet, usually pretty short. 
And then depending on how much we've already been able to learn, I've had some kickoff meetings where quick meet and greet, and then we go heads down and start churning on designs and yeah, and working with our internal team. But most of the time, there's a good amount of either interviews with stakeholders at the company. You know, we'll do a couple hour workshop to get started. It really depends on the client. I wouldn't say there's a specific prescribed way that we approach it, but just depending on the client schedules and who they're able to actually gather in a room and what kind of time is available, it depends. And as a writer, what do you think that are the things that you're taking from those interviews and the kickoff meetings that are different than the research team or the design team? So I think as a writer, we are both at a disadvantage and advantage because a lot of these companies don't know what we do. Probably 85% of the creative brand guidelines that I get don't have copy specifications. They say capitalize according to the Chicago style manual or something. I'm just like, that says nothing about how to write for your brand. That says how to capitalize something that's not big picture thinking. When I go into these meetings, I'm talking to them and asking questions to really understand how their brand presents itself to the world. In the same way that the UI designers, they have a brand guideline that tells them what font to use because certain serifs and kerning convey certain ideas in our mind. I get to do that with writing in a way that isn't actually prescribed yet, which is super fun. I don't know how open those multinational companies that you're working with through it, but you have the option to kind of dictate and define the content style guides for those companies as well. Yeah, for sure. In the projects that are better from a content perspective, when I'm able to work with a content group in the company, it's really great to take what they've been doing, sometimes from a marketing perspective or from an internal communications perspective, and work with them and, and help them learn how to write for the technology product. It's really fun to see them transition their writing a little bit and also to learn why error messages shouldn't be written the same way as onboarding, why the marketing messages that they've been putting out on a billboard or on a radio spot or you know even on a banner ad, why those messages don't belong in an app or you know, in navigational content or something like that. That sounds really interesting. I want to know, once you finished with the kickoff meeting and now you need to work with your team on that project, what will be your process? We have really great collaboration within the Deloitte Digital Studios. Maybe it'd be helpful to give a little breakdown of Deloitte's structure as well. We have regular Deloitte, which is what most people think of when they hear the word, you know, consultants, a huge building, downtown, <laughs> the many cities, the green dots. Yep, exactly. <laughs> You've been well-versed. So we have Deloitte Digital, which is a smaller group within Deloitte Consulting. And then within Deloitte Digital, we have a studio model, which is uh, smaller creative offices that uh, much more resemble a startup or a product company office, you know, we all wear jeans and t-shirts to work and name our conference rooms after vintage video games in my particular office. 
which which video games <laughs> man you know i'm not much of a gamer but uh but i've been learning uh so we have like frogger missile command mm. super mario pong i had in mind i thought it was more like arcade kind of games like mortal kombat and the cadillacs and dinosaurs but uh, you know i think it might be a little intimidating if we invited a client <laughs> in to visit us in mortal kombat <laughs> all right <laughs> that's true <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who picked him, but yeah, I feel like we have some some good ones. Missile Command <laughs> is, is definitely our biggest conference room, so I think that one was appropriately named. So it's like a studio, like a startup kind of uh, structure when everybody's are wearing super casual clothes, and it sounds like a lot of fun, by the way. Yeah, it's one of the most fun work environments that I've been in. Once we go through the kickoff and we get back into working with our team in the studio, so we'll typically be assigned, we call them war rooms, just like a, a project room where people can go at any time to just put heads down and talk. And you can write on all the walls, you can write on the windows, just a ton of aids for that, you know, so that you can draw up quick screen proportions, I guess, for different phones and tablet sizes and uh, start sketching things out that way. I work most closely with the UI and UX designers to create the idea and the story of what we're trying to tell to the user. Making sure that the content is aligned with the overall experience that we're trying to create for that user. So how does that process look like? You're sitting in that uh, awesome uh, room with the, the, the transparent windows that you can write on, right? And uh, you're sitting with the UX designer, and now it's time to plan the idea, right? So you have probably you did the research, you did your uh, kickoff meeting with that client, and uh, now it's time to finally generate ideas. Yeah. And so wh- where do we start? How do we start? <laughs> so typically, I get in really early, and that is a new workflow for a lot of designers in a way that the writer works with them from the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. You know, I I think a lot of designers are used to getting copy added at the end. Right. It's still happening in many places today. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'll just force my way in there. I'll either call a meeting with them early, or if it's a designer that I haven't worked with before and I see them go into the meeting room, I'm just like, oh, I should definitely be in there right now, and I'll just go into the meeting as well. So I'll have an idea of what I think it's important to start surfacing to users on, if it's an app, initial screens, if it's a website, initial pages, and how to structure that in terms of uh, priority for what they would want to see first, in terms of what the business wants to convey as a high priority. And so I'll have content blocks, maybe content progression, I should say, in mind. Like some kind of a task flow, I would say, or like a user journey that you put different type of content blocks in it. Or we're talking about prototyping it on and imagining how the screens are going to look like. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking a little bit past the user journeys. We would definitely have user journeys already defined by this point. And I would take those into account when I'm thinking of what sort of content I want to think it would be appropriate to surface. So taking the business goals, the user goals into account, then working with the UX designer initially on 
how those priorities start to show up on a screen. So they may be ready to draw a box and say, this is our hero image. You know, I feel like it's my job to come to them and say, okay, cool. Instead of just writing lorem ipsum as a title, what is that actual hero image conveying? Why do we need, you know, that hero spot at that point? Do we want to lead with a, with a headline that tells someone why they're actually here and then go into the hero? I think that those sorts of priorities are where UX writing and, and content really start to provide a lot of business value, you know? I agree. So I work with the UX designer on the structure of the experience. We're talking about pen and paper at the moment? Yeah, it's usually whiteboard so everyone can see it. Just sketch it out and make sure that we are talking about the things that I think are important to the business or the user. And then once that starts to get defined well, then when the visual designer comes in, I work with them uh, to make sure that copy is like character specific. Yeah, they say, oh, well... You know, based on screen size and our font choices and font size, and if we write this button in the way that you've written it, we'll have a line break in it, and we really want uh, single line buttons, then it's like, all right, well, how do I change that message that I had to be four characters shorter? That's what we call content design. Yeah, exactly. Let's take one step before that. So if you're working with the UX designer, for example, on the header and the error image, do you define some kind of flow of different screens or you, how does it work exactly? It just really depends on whether we start to sketch out a hierarchy of pages and the way that someone should move through several pages at once or if we're trying to really dial one or two pages and get them into a design review and use those as a template to start making 20 pages or something like that. I think it really depends on the client it makes a lot of sense because i feel like we have some writers and they have right now a new project or they just was hired for the first time as ux writers but now they're not sure which process they should choose for that specific project and you're saying that it really depends on the project and then you decide uh, what kind of process you will pick so you, you have to kind of pick your process based on the project so my question would be how do you choose I think it's a bit of a gut feeling. It should be a very informed and well thought out gut feeling. To give a couple of examples, you know, we had a client that asked us to design their corporate homepage, right? Where people would come to learn about the company. It was investors, but also job seekers, maybe some suppliers, those sorts of people. That entire engagement was a very small amount of pages. You know, that was like four or five pages total, maybe. So at that point, we designed the first page and put that into a design review, make sure that that was going in the right direction, and then used the feedback on that to make adjustments and then start to create the other handful of pages, right? That was a super short project. We wanted to get pretty far on the design before we moved forward. On other projects, you know, where we have on that learning app, right, we had I don't know, probably maybe 150 screens of learning content. So at that point, it, it was more important to get the structure of each page defined, like UX wireframe and say, this is what everyone will look like, but the images are going to be completely different. The content blocks may be different sizes um, and just really get those 
building block set so that we could then replicate it for hundreds of other screens. Right. This is a really important lesson because sometimes we need to create some kind of a layout and in the wireframe step where the content is important so people could understand what's going to be there, but you don't have to actually write the content of each page because you're going to have three or 400 different content blocks. Yeah, you know, I definitely have a pretty knee-jerk reaction to lorem ipsum because it doesn't actually convey any value. It's designed to be placeholder, and I get that, but I still think that there's a better way to do it, right? Instead of saying lorem ipsum in a header font size and font layout, why not say like heading one? Or why not take it even a step further and say our headings are meant to be about, we'll use that learning app as an example. So our titles are meant to be catchy with an allusion to the topic, right? And use that as your placeholder, right? That's never going to make it into a comp. But even giving those sorts of hints about what's there and what needs to be there in the future is just so helpful. And it's so much better than Lorem Ipsum. Right. My takeaway from what you just said, which is super important, is, of course, Lorem Ipsum, never use it. But instead of writing a headline for an article, so maybe try to dictate the way that headline would be written in the future. Like, here goes a catchy headline. And this is like your wireframe for the blog section of a product or for an education platform, like uh, in your case. Yeah, exactly. Going into a little bit more granularity, I think, helps everyone to think about the different sections of a screen with a lot more clarity. And context also, like what's going to be there. Yeah, exactly. All right, so you go into the room with the UX designer, you define the wireframes, your process change based on the project every time, and then you're going with the visual designer, and then you design the content. Now you work as a content designer, you need to check that you work in uh, not too much characters, so the content will be designed. Do you happen to go into the design tool as a writer or it's not an option? Like the Sketch or Figma or... It is an option. I don't do it a lot just because I like to maintain a copy source of truth. Let the visual designer maintain their own design source of truth. And then we have the wireframes as the UX source of truth. And so I think keeping those separated, make sure that everyone knows where to look for what parts of the experience. The developers are able to make sure that they're looking at, at a copy doc for every final copy string. They're able to look at the designs for, you know, to make sure they have the exact right icon in the right place, that stuff. So we usually keep it separated. Yes, because it's more convenient to have one source of truth for your copy. So is it like with Google Sheets or Google Docs or Excel file? We've used a pretty wide variety of collaboration programs, I guess. Deloitte has a lot of rules around what programs we're allowed to use, especially if they're cloud-based, just for security reasons. We've kind of progressed through a bunch of them right now. We use Microsoft Tools, so we've been using that. One of the things that I love about our studios is that we're not really siloed from creative and technical. We have a, a developer that's built a script that will read the file and uh, import strings into screens. So it's super cool. I mean, he took it upon himself. He was like, I don't think that it's efficient for us to be copying and pasting this one-to-one. -one. It creates quality issues. 
if there's like iteration issues, right? If I change a string, if we decide that buttons are now title case instead of sentence case or something like that, and I go through and change it, sometimes a developer will miss one or two of those capitalization changes, right? Which is totally reasonable. But if you're able to do it in a script that just pulls everything into a JSON file and then imports that into code, it's so much faster more efficient and also better and more accurate. Brilliant. Is there any kind of gatekeeper for the content change or you are in charge of how it's going to look like eventually or how it's going to be written eventually? Our UX writers are the ones in charge of that. We also have a very talented QA staff. They look through everything with a very fine-tooth comb and I'm used to having that feedback and I appreciate that feedback. Some of the stuff that QA catches from not just a content standpoint, but but across the entire experience is just really impressive. So we make sure that that stuff is dialed. So if I understand correctly, you have a QA team, which are not in charge only technical stuff, but also on the looks and the, the content. Yeah, exactly. Depending on who it is specifically, they have different strengths. But yeah, the QA is empowered to call out any QA issues. And yeah, they make sure that everything that gets published is accurate. Let's talk about that Excel sheet that integrate with that script. For example, now you have a new project, like the UX designer have, I would say, probably a design system or maybe a UI library for the wireframes or for the result. Some will call it a design system. Once your copy source of truth is the style guide of the copy, so it's the content style guide. And a lot of people ask themselves today how they should structure their content style guide. So I'm asking what is the structure of that page that you are creating that eventually is scraped by an algorithm that take it to the product? So I usually set up my document with a bunch of tabs, right? You can have tabs at the bottom of spreadsheets. So I'll have my first tab be a reference for me when I'm writing. So it'll just say like, Buttons should be capitalized this way. We write our headlines in this particular way. You know, each little bit that is just a helpful reminder for me because I am changing projects and sometimes we're staffed on multiple projects at once. Um, it's just really good to have all of those granular things itemized for me so that I can bounce back and forth and, and make sure that, that I'm writing it correctly and formatting it correctly. Um, and then I usually do a tab either per page or if we're doing a ton of pages, then I'll do it like per topic. And then I'll use the rows for different content blocks. So like row one will say that it's a certain page and then I'll just go down the page for each content block. So like it would first be like the header and then the first content block and then maybe a subhead and I'll just work down that way. And then I use the columns as iterations and version tracking and note taking. So I'll have the first iteration will be what I came up with as, as the UX writer, and then maybe the second column will be, will be notes from a design review or from stakeholders or, or even just from an internal review of copy. You know, the UX designer says something or the UI designer wants a couple more characters or a couple less characters, whatever. So I keep all, track of all of that in a, in a notes column, and then I'll have the next column be an iteration of that. 
Nice. How many iterations do you get? It totally depends, but around three, I think, is a sustainable way to do it. You know, if you start getting more than that, I think the UX writer workflow starts to lag behind wires and comps. But if you have less than a couple iterations, that's also concerning to me because I feel like that means I'm not getting feedback from the stakeholders or, or from the team. As much as I like to think that I just write perfectly the first time, if I'm not getting that, that feedback, then I tend to push on the stakeholders a little bit and say like, hey, is this actually what you want to say? You know, we're not in this design review just to comment on color application. Please make sure that you're giving me some feedback on copy as well. That's amazing, actually. Like all of your explanation right now about how you structure the Google Sheets document. It's really interesting, I find. It's not that every page is a different tab, but every tab is like a different part of the product. Yeah, that all just depends on how much we're building. You know, the corporate project that was like five pages, then each tab would be a separate page. If we're building out 150 screens, then each topic would be a tab and I'd have a couple pages within it. This is the part of the process that you're doing after you define the wireframes with the UX designer? Yeah, I don't want it to come across as linear where I'm like right. thing with the UX designer and then go off and work on my own and then check it with UI. It is really collaborative. One of the examples that I like to use from one of my previous projects was we were working with this company that had really siloed business lines, right? So they asked each business line to give us content to explain like five different points. So when we got all of this content, uh, the way that we had decided things were laid out visually, it meant that the visual designer was going to have to come up with a visual representation of each one of these content blocks, right? And it came out to be like 21 or 25 different content blocks that, that our visual designer was looking at and thinking, man, that's a ton of work, you know, both conceptually and production. To think of a unique way to represent 20 different points to then create all of those different visual representations was going to just be a ton of work for him. So when I looked at it, I realized that a lot of these were actually saying the same thing. They were just saying it with slightly different wording. Realizing the workload that was on the visual designer we talked and I said, well, hey, what if I just rewrote these to be a little bit more streamlined? Once I did that, we sent it back to the product team at our client. I think we cut it down to like 11 or something like that. Like it was less than half. And so then all of a sudden the visual designer was super stoked because, you know, his workload was just cut massively. The user benefited because we were speaking in more common terminology. You know, they, they weren't looking at all these different blocks and saying like, well, why are these three words different? Is it a different offering or is it really the same offering just under a different topic? Uh, so the user was really benefited because it, it was explained a lot simpler. And I think both of those things benefited the company because then they had a cleaner layout. Their users were able to understand what they were trying to convey a lot better. You know, I think it's stuff like that where UX writing as a collaboration is so powerful because then you have 
the wireframes come in, we're able to affect those a little bit. The visual design, we can help to streamline their workflow. And then we're talking in a way that the company wants to communicate as well. It's a really powerful tool to help companies solve user problems. Amazing. It's a really crazy challenge many writers have today. Like they want to get into UX writing, but they need some kind of collaborative feedback if they want to get into the field. Let's say that we have a listener right now that want to get into UX writing, but they don't have a design team that they are working with and they have to create some kind of a portfolio and send their work to their next employer. So what would be the best possible way to start your career in UX writing? Yeah, I think that the way that writing is approached, you know, being very empathetic to your audience, writing with a, with a very audience-focused message, those sorts of things are very quick bridges to UX writing. So I came from this freelance background in the outdoor industry. I was doing all kinds of projects. You know, I, I proofread the catalog for the largest bike manufacturer in the world. And I wrote like long form editorial for print magazines. But I think every single time that I started writing, I was thinking about who's going to be reading this and where are they going to be when they're reading this, right? Are they... Are they reading a, a blog post on their computer when they need a break from whatever desk job they're doing and they want to read about this awesome climber, right? Or are they in a bike shop and they're trying to read um, a specific catalog to figure out what spec, what wheel set is on what bike? I think that that mentality of writing for the person that's reading is really important to UX writing. Because if you're doing user-centered design, like that's just a fancy way of saying that you're writing for whoever it is is going to read it. First of all, there is a lot of similarities between UX design and UX writing in the way that you need to present your project. So I'm always talking about if you're creating some kind of a case study right now or a portfolio, don't show your end results of what you actually wrote, but give some context, talk about like the problem and then the solution and then how you solve it. I'm also teaching the writers to use like a very, very basic way to use design tools so they could present it in a wireframe or in a screenshot that it will be aesthetic and they could put it in their portfolio. Yeah, 100%. I think the thought process for how someone gets to copy is so much more important than actually, you know, than the final draft. So we end up working with some of the more junior level people at Big Deloitte. And so, you know, I'll bring them on for a project, but what's important to me is not, do they capitalize perfectly? It's not, can they write to an exact character? It's more, when I talk to them, I want to know, how they're approaching the problem and how they're using words to solve those problems. And so, yeah, I think that that's huge. And being able to articulate that is really important if you're looking at career progression, if you're trying to interview, you know. So, you know, I think it's a not very well-kept secret that when employers give you a writing exercise, they have specific prompts in there, like, what would you write for this? What would you write for that? How would you craft this header? How would you craft that error message? 
And that's all great, but that's not really what they're looking for. They, they need an explanation of how you got there. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of different correct answers for the final copy that would be on that screen. But what's important is that the thought process and taking into account the right inputs and generating an output from that, I think that is the important part. I agree. I want to ask, what's your take on the voice interface design? We're going to have a huge renaissance right now with all the Google Assistants <laughs> and stuff. And I think writers are going to be more in demand than, than even visual designers. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. But this is just a gut feeling. So... <laughs> Uh, did you have the chance to, I know many people haven't had the chance, but maybe Deloitte uh, are working on product, projects like that? Yeah, for sure. I feel like looking at our little video conference screen here, both of our eyes were lighting up at the same time. Like, oh, this is so exciting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure. I think that you know, voice as well as maybe text-based chatbots are such an exciting area for writers to progress into and for, for words as a communication platform to, to really just be highlighted. And, you know, when you and I talk, right, we just conveyed a ton of meaning back and forth through nothing more than words. And I think that as we move towards that in technology, it's just so exciting. If in Deloitte you're working on something like that for uh, clients, I know that many people don't work on projects like that. I just want to know if you had the opportunity to do something like that or you want in the future to do something like that. So yeah, Deloitte has a decent budget for innovation projects where done some 3D uh, like VR design, which has been super cool um, because one of our visual designers was, or a couple of our visual designers were just super excited about it. So uh, working for a company like, like Deloitte is really cool because they have the money to, to give us the training and give us the tools uh, to, to build that stuff. We've also done that in chatbots and voice design. So we've been working with Alexa mostly, definitely a little bit with Google Home as well. And then with other more like text-based platforms, I think that it is a super exciting direction for design to be moving because at the end of the day, I think that it, language is one of the most efficient forms of communication. And if our mandate is to communicate with users, then I, I think that doing it through language is just so powerful. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. Well, Matt, before we're finishing, our listeners, they want to know, can they find you if they want to reach out to you? LinkedIn, Twitter? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Great, great, great. So thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Have a great day and enjoy the rest of the week. And uh, I'm sure we're going to talk more in the future. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. All right, so I hope you liked the last episode of Writers in Tech. If you've liked it, you can watch another episode. By the way, I want to interview Elon Musk for Writers in Tech podcast. So if by any chance you know Elon Musk, so send him this episode and tell him, hey, Elon, Yuval from Writers in Tech podcast want to interview you. And if you don't know him personally, you can just share this episode on a social channel and had an hashtag, come on Elon. Or tag also Elon Musk profile. I don't know. Maybe it will work. 
Someone once told me that if you say out loud to the world something that you want to happen, the world will bring it back to you. So this is what I'm trying to do here. Until then, have a great day. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again. And that's all for this week.